What you believe really does matter. Would you agree with that? On June 30th, 1859, one of the greatest tightrope walkers in history, Charles Blondin, became the first man in history to walk across Niagara Falls. Approximately 25,000 people watched him walk a 1,000-foot line suspended above the raging falls without any safety nets. Now, when he safely reached the Canadian side, the crowd cheered with thunderous applause. On another occasion, he attempted to cross the falls once again. Now, this time, however, he brought with him a wheelbarrow, and he pushed it across. The crowd gasped as he carefully loaded the front wheel of the wheelbarrow on the tightrope. He turned to the crowd. He said, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on this tightrope? And everyone cheered. Everyone, they all believed he could. So he went across, and then he came back. And then he said, do you believe I can do it again? And the crowd cheered and said, yes, yes, we do. The reporter that was covering it said, yes, I believe. I know you can do it. So Charles Blondin looked at the reporter eye to eye. He said, if you believe it, get in the wheelbarrow. Well, there's a lot of people said they believed he could do it, but nobody wanted in that wheelbarrow. You know, what you believe really does matter. And if you believe something, you'd be willing to risk something for it. If I were to ask you, do you believe that Jesus really died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that he, was, he is coming back again? What would you say? I'm sure most people who claim to be Christians would say, I believe it. So my next question would be, if you really believe it, then what impact is Christ's resurrection having in your life? Folks, the truth of Jesus is not just a matter of faith, it's a matter of fact. Ancient historians affirmed the life and death of Jesus and that he was hated by the Jewish religious leaders. The New Testament was written only decades after the resurrection. So there were eyewitnesses alive when the Gospels were written who could verify the events. But most of all, the transformation of the disciples from frightened and frustrated to men who were willing to die for Christ is the greatest evidence of all that the resurrection happened. My son Quentin wrote a paper about the proof of the resurrection. I'd like to read a portion of it to you. I think I have it on the screen, yes. The disciples had no motive to fabricate the accounts about Jesus. They faced persecution, imprisonment, and death for proclaiming that He was God, that He died to pay for our sins, and that He rose from the dead. Self-respecting scholars acknowledge that the disciples did not make this up for profit or power, but rather because they truly believed they saw Jesus alive from the dead. The greatest evidence that we really believe is what we're willing to risk for what we believe. And what would you be willing to risk for what you believe about Jesus? What would you risk for the kingdom? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I want to continue a resurrection message. Pray, so grow. Kingdom resurrection. Acts chapter 1. 
If you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? Verse 1, the former account, by the way, this is Luke writing. Luke the physician, Luke the writer of the Gospel of Luke. The former account I made, O Theophilus, talking about the Gospel of Luke. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So just, just bear with me now. How many days did Jesus live after his death and resurrection? 40 days on the earth. That's right. And being assembled together with them, his disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. <clears throat> Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, when will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the worship. Lord, what a great blessing it is to gather in your name. And Lord, today in this place, we honor you. We lift up the name, the glorious holy name of Jesus. We pray that you will take your word and touch hearts with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be saying, are you warm out there? I am too, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to bring this stool over here because I am really hot <laughs> up on this stage, and if I need it, I'll be able to just sit down for just a minute. Will that be okay with you? Very hot. Okay. In our study of the kingdom, I hope you have come to realize, as I have, that for Jesus, his entire mission from heaven to earth and back to heaven had to do with preparing us for the kingdom and the kingdom for us. John said, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. During the three years that the Lord walked with his disciples and taught them the truths we find in the Gospels, the main thing he wanted them to know was that everything he did was for the purpose of bringing people into his kingdom. Now, not many years after his death and resurrection, Luke researched and wrote down the story of Jesus in the gospel bearing his name. And in Acts 1, he gave us some of the events that happened in Jesus those 40 days in his last days on earth. Let's look at them for a moment. Verse 1 through 3. 
The former account, Luke said, I made, which was the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, he's writing to a man named Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, when he ascended into heaven, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, Luke was a very educated man. He was a physician by trade and the author of the Gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts. Luke knew not only how to write, but he knew how to research. And when compiling his record, he talked to many eyewitnesses of Jesus, of his life, of his miracles, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. From Luke, we, we learn so much about our Savior. It is no telling how many people Luke interviewed when, when he wrote the story of Jesus. We do know that he addressed both his works to this man named Theophilus. Now, we don't know a lot about him, but we do know he's a Gentile. Like probably all of us here today, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. He's a Roman, and he's a Roman official, probably a high official. Perhaps he was an official of Rome who heard of Paul's case. Remember, Paul was in prison in Rome. Theophilus wanted to know about this. Tell me this story about Jesus. So Luke gave him these stories, the, his gospel, and then later on he, he would write the acts that was going on. But he gave him the gospel, the story of Jesus, to help Theophilus understand who Jesus was. Luke also gives us a picture of what happened but during the 40 days between the, his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. It's interesting that in the gospels, we have a little bit, if you just think about it for just a minute, we have a little, bit about, a little bit about the birth of Jesus. We have a little bit about what happened after his resurrection. And then we have a whole lot about his life and his ministry. What we should make very clear is the fact that the kingdom was the main, was the, the, the main point of Jesus' message. It had to do with the, the kingdom. It, it happened, he talked about the kingdom while he was alive, while he was walking with his disciples. And he talked about the kingdom when, after his resurrection. The kingdom. What is that kingdom? The kingdom of God is the rule and reign. The kingdom of Christ is the rule and reign of Christ. It is the future reign. When he comes to this world and he, he just gets rid of everything evil and he starts a whole kingdom and he lives and rules and reigns on earth again, you see. And so this kingdom means that everything changes. And Jesus taught about the kingdom, and he showed his disciples that his point, that the reason he'd come was for the kingdom. And just think about it for a minute. When Jesus was born, it had to do for, it had to do with the kingdom. When Jesus was alive walking on the earth with his disciples, the focus of his teaching was his kingdom. After his resurrection, he's still talking about his kingdom. Because nothing that happens on this earth is more important than the coming of his kingdom. You see, the coming of Christ's kingdom to earth means the restoration of all that sin and evil is taken away. If you think about it for a minute, this world is so immoral today. It really is. It is so wicked. 
your children have so much evil in front of them, more than we've ever had before. They can put their earbuds and their, their AirPods in. That you don't even know sometimes what they're listening to. And it's filled with vulgarity. You see, the internet filled with pornography and everything else. All evil. There is so much evil going on in the world. And let me tell you, with AI, artificial intelligence, they're going to be able to tell your children how to do, or anybody, how to do some, make some things and do some things that could be in catastrophic. There's a very dangerous world out there. I've never seen anything like it, have you? All that hatred, all that vulgarity, immorality, all these things that are wrong according to God or right in the eyes of people. Terrible. All the danger going on in the world today. Well, all of that is going to disappear when Jesus comes again. The kingdom is important because it is the restoration of all that sin and Satan and evil has destroyed. God didn't create this world to be this way. and He didn't intend for it to be this way. God created a perfect world and He intends for it to be perfect. And the only way it's going to be perfect is when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. That's why that song was moving to me. I just thought for a minute about the crumbling of this world. The crumbling. Folks, the only thing that's going to help you, that's going to enable you to stand when the nations crumble is your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. You'll stand when everything else is crumbling. And that's why the kingdom is so important. So important. So that's why Luke said in the days just after his resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples to discuss things pertaining to his kingdom. In the 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus gave his disciples the three W's of kingdom truth. Read them with me. Wait, watch, witness. Now we're going to talk about those for a moment. First, he told us to wait. Wait. For the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me in the, in the word here. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, the disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. From the moment Jesus was conceived in, his, in Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit was part of his life. Do you remember what happened when the angel Gabriel came to Mary? She said, how can this thing be? And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you and you will have the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. When Jesus was ready to begin his three, earth, three years of earthly ministry and mission with his disciples, just before he was tempted by the devil... Luke wrote, look at Luke 4.1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the, who? Spirit, into the wilderness. When he was in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, the Spirit of God was upon him. Everything Jesus did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand, he was the God-man. His body was human flesh, but his spirit was God divine. You see, he was the God man. When Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, he told them to wait for the promise of the Father, which he told them about. Well, what promise was that? John 14, look at this verse. 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. How do you know him? Read that last line with me. For he dwells with you and will be what? In you. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it is the same Spirit that was in Jesus, His Spirit, that comes to live in us. That's what was going to happen 50 days after the resurrection at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was going to baptize that bunch. It was going to immerse them. And the Holy Spirit was going to come into their lives to live there forever. That, now Jesus is going to talk to His disciples a little bit about that before he ascended uh, into heaven. When we receive Jesus into our lives as Savior and Lord, it is his Spirit that comes to live within us. Paul said, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Holy Spirit is not only the source of spiritual power in this life, he is the identifier of the children of God. It is the Holy Spirit that dif differentiates the children of God from the children of the devil. The children of God from the children of the world. Paul said, for as many as are led by what? The Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work in those who have received Jesus to make us look more and more like our Savior. When we sow kingdom seeds, it's the Holy Spirit who takes the message we share and plants it into the hearts of those who are willing to receive it. That means you and I, having received Christ into our lives by faith, if we were ever going to be of any use to the kingdom, to God's kingdom, we are going to have to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can do of any eternal value unless it is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, on the resurrection day after Jesus had been seen by Mary Magdalene and some other women and some others, he met with his disciples. And John remembered, John 20, 19 through 22, then the same day at evening, I want you to notice what's happening here. The same day at evening being the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. It's resurrection day. That morning he rose from the dead. Now it's, it's later that afternoon. When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And what did he say to them? Peace be with you. What's that Hebrew word? Shalom. Jesus said shalom. When he had said this, he showed the disciples his hands and his side and then, and what was there? The scars. The holes. No blood, just holes. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Shalom. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What's he sending us to? What do we call that? The Great Commission. And when he had said this, I want you to notice what, he's, what happened. He breathed on them and he said to them, read that last part, 
receive the Holy Spirit. (sighs) When I exhale, all I get is CO2, carbon dioxide. When Jesus exhaled, they got his spirit. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. When those disciples were in the upper room, it's probably the same room where they had the Last Supper, by the way. That was kind of their headquarters there in Jerusalem. When Jesus appeared to them, he breathed on them to give them the sense of what it was going to be like when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost and they and they had the Holy Spirit permanently. See, up to this point, up to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon people and left people. And Jesus wanted them to know what it was like. What did that feel like when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? Folks, I know salvation is by faith and not by feeling, but let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit is real in your life, there's a feeling there. Would you agree? Amen? You know, if, you, if you've experienced the Holy Spirit, I mean, He's in your life if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit's not in there. But if you're a Christian, He's there. Now, the key for you is to let Him have more control of you. And the more control you, you give to the Holy Spirit, the more you sense His presence. And His presence is the, is the presence of Jesus. Jesus said, Receive my Spirit! On the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered and the Holy Spirit came, guess who gets in that Spirit? It's the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit came to indwell them permanently. So, only by being indwelled by the Holy Spirit could a person enter His kingdom. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit could those first disciples and us today do any kingdom work that would be of eternal value. And only through the Holy Spirit can Jesus use us to change this world. So if if Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit to display the power of God in His world, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to empower us and use us to show the resurrection life to people who desperately need Him in our world? Paul said, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Jesus told His disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. And folks, let me tell you something. You and I need to wait for the Holy Spirit. That's right. We need to seek God on a daily basis. I just got a little book from the Billy Graham Association. And Billy Graham, in his life, every day he read five psalms and a proverb. And that was his key staying close to God. Now, he read other things too and studied, but he read five Psalms and a proverb. And I started doing that. And boy, I'm telling you, it will cha- it'll just make your day. We need to seek the Lord. You know what the Bible says? Seek the Lord while He may be found. And today the Lord Jesus wants you to seek Him. And the more you seek Him, the more His Holy Spirit is going to take control of you, of your thoughts, of your actions, of your words of your direction in life. We need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to take our words, our message about Jesus and His love and eternal life and plant those seeds, kingdom seeds, in the lives of those who hear and turn those seeds into faith so that they might enter the kingdom. It's not up to us. All we can do, what is the only thing we can do? 
Sow, right? Say sow. That's the only thing we can do. Just sow. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit to do the rest. That's the second W Jesus spoke of. Witness. Be my witnesses. Now, Jesus, in verse 6 through 8, we read, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you, will you read this for me? It's so powerful. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Amen. Now, Jesus is using some legal terms. Witness. A witness to talk about what the Holy Spirit will do with His disciples. You know, in a legal trial, witnesses are called. And do you know what they say when they put their hand on the Bible? Todd, do they still put their hand on the Bible? I, I, I don't know if he's here or not. Todd uh, said he's a, an attorney, was a DA. But you put your hand on the Bible. And you say, I swear to tell, help me, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Now, some, they used to say, so help me God. I don't know if they do that anymore. That's what a witness does. He tells the truth as he knows it. He, tell, he is someone who has first-hand knowledge about something that has happened. And that's why Jesus appeared to those disciples after his resurrection. So that they would witness firsthand his power over the grave, his power over death. The disciples had seen Jesus raise Lazarus and Jairus' daughter which meant he had power over death. But when Jesus rose from the dead himself, when they saw that his body was healed from all the terrible lacerations and bruises, that's when the disciples knew Jesus had resurrection power, the power of eternal life. Folks, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that he might forgive us. But he rose from the dead so he could give us eternal life in his kingdom. Jesus said, in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture of the personal relationship we have with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit within us helps us hear His voice and know His voice. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance that the Word of God is true. The Holy Spirit makes us witnesses of Jesus because the Holy Spirit reveals the power of Christ to us and makes, the person of, and makes Christ personal to us. Remember, when the Holy Spirit lives within us, that's Christ Himself. You know, I believe every word in this Bible. I believe with all my heart that this Word is true, this Gospel is true. But even if I didn't have the Bible anymore, even if they banned all the Bibles, I still know Jesus is real because I've experienced Jesus. I've experienced His power. I have His life operating in me. The power of life that's in Jesus is a transforming power that changes us from being slaves to sin and Satan to being willing servants of the living God. You know, those first disciples, they were not only 
the only ones to see the living Christ. I've seen him. You've seen him. If you have Jesus in your life, you have seen him. You have seen him in the powerful ways he has worked in your life, haven't you? You've seen him work in your circumstances. You've seen him do things that you can't explain by chance. You've seen him in the personal miracles he's performed in your life, in healing you and comforting you and providing you and rescuing you. Folks, I could fill a book with instances where the Lord Jesus has spoken to me or shown up in my desperate times of need or has miraculously healed me. I know Jesus lives. Not because there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. I know because there's a full fullness in my life. My life's filled with the personal presence of King Jesus. And one day he's coming back to this earth. Right now, though, his throne is in my heart. And I'm so glad Jesus loves me enough to live in me and work through me to help, to help others find a place in his kingdom. What a privilege to be a child of God and a servant of God. Amen? And there's no greater calling, folks, than the calling to follow Jesus. Friends, I cannot believe how corrupt our world has become. People need Jesus so desperately today. Our world needs to hear the good news of Jesus again. And that's why we need to pray so grow for the kingdom. You and I are the only witnesses to the only Savior this world has. If we don't tell this world and show this world the truth of Jesus, where will they get it? There's a desperate need for the witness of Christ, the witnesses of Christ, to start giving testimony in this court of world opinion. This world's becoming... So evil because the only voices they hear are the voices of Satan and those who follow Satan. People are desperate for good news today. And guess what? You and I have good news. Amen? The news that the Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead lives in us. Wants to save this world and live in the hearts of those who will receive Him. The best news anyone could ever hear is that Jesus loves you and wants to save you. What could be better than that? What could be better than the truth that the same Jesus who rose from heaven is one day going to return and take over this entire planet and rid the earth of Satan's influence once and for all? That's good news, folks. And let me tell you, I'm just proud of you today for sowing more than 3,000 kingdom seeds. That means 3,000 people have heard something of the good news of Jesus. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Amen. And through your live stream, you're talking about in the last two months, over 20,000 people have heard something of the good news of Jesus. And that's the third thing we see in the resurrection story. It has to do with the kingdom. The third W, watch for the kingdom. Watch. Jesus had so much to say about His coming kingdom. So much to alert the disciples about. Listen to his calls for us to watch. Matthew 24, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore also you be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour. You do not expect. Watch. Matthew 25, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Mark 13, watch. But of that day and hour knows no one, no, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed and do what? Watch and pray 
For you do not know when the time is. We don't know when the kingdom's coming. Folks, every, as far as I'm concerned, everything's been fulfilled that needs to be fulfilled. I believe Jesus could come right now. I wish He would. I believe He could come right now. Jesus did not say we should hope that His kingdom will come. Jesus said we should do what? Watch for His kingdom to come. The kingdom reign of Christ is coming to earth whether anyone is expecting it or ready for it or not. Jesus is coming again. He's coming with a vengeance. Luke wrote, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, verses 9 through 11 of Acts 1, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. Wow. That's powerful. Isn't that exciting? Let's pay attention to those words from these angels. Jesus had led the disciples to the Mount of Olives, where He spoke His final words to them and gave, him, gave them the Great Commission from Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, read it with me, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he ended by saying what? Amen. So that's a good word, isn't it? Jesus said it. The Great Commission is not just a commandment to carry the gospel to the world. It's a great promise. It's a twofold kingdom promise. Notice with me this, these promises. First, the, the promise that this sinful present age of man's rule will end and give way to the glorious kingdom age of the reign of Christ. And two, whenever we're sharing the good news of the kingdom, Jesus is with us. Jesus told His disciples, You go and be My witnesses. Tell My story to this fallen world. Tell everyone to repent and believe now because it's going to be too late when I return. And then Jesus in His resurrected body rose into the sky until He vanished out of their sight in the clouds. And then, while those disciples were gazing, standing there, looking up, as Jesus went into the clouds, two angels appeared to them and said, Hey, why are you gazing up? Jesus told you to go out and spread the good news. You're gazing up, but you're supposed to go out and spread the good news. So is kingdom seeds, because as sure as He left this earth, he is coming again, and this time with His kingdom. So don't just gaze, Jesus said. Watch for my return. Watch with anticipation. Watch as if you believe He could return at any time. That's how the first Christians watched. I know it's been 2,000 years, and the Lord Jesus has not returned. But when I look at the condition of this world, and I see what, I see what Jesus had to say about the wickedness of this world just prior to His return... It makes me believe that His kingdom could come at any moment. Listen to Jesus as He told His disciples about a future day. For as lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day, but first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Well, that has occurred, hasn't it? He came into this world to bring the grace of God to men and open the door to His kingdom, and sinful men rejected His offer of salvation and crucified Him. 
And today, sinful men are still rejecting Jesus and ignoring Jesus. And when He returns for His church, they're going to keep doing just what they are doing today for a while. Luke 17, Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. What were they doing? Just what they were doing. Ordinarily, what they did in the day, just like the world today. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke said to Theophilus, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead by His own power and proved His power through many infallible proofs. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus was not a secret resurrection, nor was it hidden from view, but Jesus appeared to hundreds of people before He ascended into heaven. And just before He left this world, He promised to return with His kingdom. That personal and powerful promise means that we should do everything in our power to help an unbelieving world believe in Jesus. And that's not going to happen until we act like His witnesses. If we live our lives like everyone else in the world, folks, living for what we can gain for ourselves and for all the pleasure we can have, then we're not really being His witnesses. If we talk like the world with all its dirty, vulgar language, when Satan has controlled our speech, then we're not really being controlled by the Holy Spirit. If we're living our lives unconcerned about the future, continuing to choose leaders who promote a trans lifestyle, who endorse abortion at any stage, who want to stop the proclamation of the gospel, if we're not living to please God and help people know the truth of His Word, then we're not really watching for His kingdom. And that's our kingdom principle. Read it with me. Resurrection life demands a resurrection lifestyle. What is a resurrection lifestyle? It's a life lived with the kingdom in mind with pleasing God in mind, with helping others find Jesus in mind. As Paul said, it's a holy lifestyle, Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ. Will you read this with me? If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Amen. A resurrection lifestyle is a lifestyle that is focused on bringing glory to the Lord Jesus and what we say and do. It's a lifestyle like that we, which we will have in heaven. Free from fleshly desires and sin. Free from worry about the things of this life which we cannot control. As Paul said, if we've been raised with Christ, then our old life is gone, and we have a new life that, rem- that belongs to Jesus. Remember, folks, if Jesus bought and paid for you with His blood, then you belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And our goal should be to do everything in our power to glorify Him. And that includes sowing, His kingdom seeds wherever we go, seeking the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities to sow that seed to help others see Jesus and come to know Him. Folks, listen to me. 
if you have been to the cross and then you have experienced His resurrection life, the resurrection changes everything. I read a little story. It was called The Resurrection of Debbie. came from Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. Listen to this. Habermas rubbed his graying beard. The quick fire cadence and the debater's edge to his voice were gone. No more quoting of scholars, no more citing of Scripture, no more building a case. I had asked about the importance of the resurrection, and Habermas decided to take a risk by hearkening back to 1995 when his wife, Debbie, slowly died of stomach cancer. Caught off guard by the tenderness of the moment, Lee Strobel said, all I could do was listen. I sat on our porch, the man began, looking off to the side at nothing in particular. He sighed deeply, went on, my wife was upstairs dying. Except for a few weeks, she was home through it all. It was an awful time. It was, was the worst thing that could possibly happen. He turned and he looked straight at me. But do you know what was amazing? My students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances were, I had to smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own biblical teaching. And second, it worked. As I would sit there, I'd picture Job, who went through all that terrible stuff, and ask questions of God, but then God turned the tables and asked Job a few questions. I knew if God were to come to me, I'd only ask one question, Lord, why is Debbie up there in bed? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? I'd say, come on, Lord, I've written seven books on that topic. Of course he was raised from the dead, but I want to know about Debbie, my wife. I think he'd keep coming back to me with that same question. Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Did I raise my son from the dead? Until I got the point. The resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, then there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. And do you know what? It worked for me while I was sitting on that porch. And it still works today. It was a horribly emotional time for me. But I couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection is the answer for suffering. I still worried. I still wondered what I'd do raising four kids alone. But there wasn't time. There was not a time when that truth did not comfort me. Losing my wife was the most painful experience I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything. It was good for 30 A.D. and it's good for 1995 and it's good for 1998 and it's good beyond that. Professor Habermas looked locked eyes with mine. That's not some sermon, he said quietly. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie was raised. And someday I will be raised too. And then I'll see Jesus and Debbie. Folks, If we really believe that Jesus died and rose and is coming again, it changes everything. It changes how we view death. It changes how we view our future. It changes how we view life. If Jesus rose from the dead, 
then it's all true. Heaven's true. Hell is true. Eternity's true. His kingdom's true. If He rose from the dead, it's all true. And it changes everything. Amen? Bow with me. Do you really believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? That He rose from the dead? And that He is coming back again? If you really believe it, then what difference is that making in your life now? Where is your focus? Like Paul, are you looking forward or backward? What evidence is there in your life? Evidence that people can see that Jesus is alive. How many people this week heard something from you? saw something in you that planted a kingdom seed in their life. How many? Maybe you want to believe. Maybe you want to have hope. A whole lot's happened, but you want Jesus. You want that peace that He can bring. You want that life in you, His life, His Holy Spirit. You want Him to be your own personal Savior and Lord. Why don't you pray and receive Him today? Say, Dear Jesus, I'm so sorry for all my sins. I'm sorry, Jesus, that I've left you out of my life. I recognize how much I need you. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins, and you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Right now, Jesus, come into my life. Move out all the trash. Get rid of all the shame and the guilt. Clean me, Jesus. Clean me up. And come and live in me. Today I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you have a place for me and the people I love that's just waiting. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, if you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer you could pray. When we're singing, I'll be at the front. The cameras will be off. If you'd like to come down and say, Pastor Donnie, I accepted Jesus. Or maybe there's somebody you need to pray for, and I'll be glad to pray for you. Sometimes people walk down and say, pray for this person with me. They need Jesus. Oh, I'll help you if I can. Father in heaven, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that with all the pain and the suffering, all the grief that we go through when we see all of this around us. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead. Because it makes it all true. And we have so much more to look forward to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way.